You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning, church family. Good to see you. Um, So today we are moving back into Exodus for the last time. Uh, We're going to walk through uh, the rest of the year leading us into Christmas. We will finish out the book of Exodus. Um, I hope that it has been encouragement and uh, for you this year as we've walked through it. Uh, It's definitely been that for us. Um, So with that, uh, I don't know if you are a Lord of the Rings fan. Um, Do we have Lord of the Rings fans in here? Um, I just got to say, I'm I'm a fan, but heaven's sakes, those movies are long. Um, Which, of course, you see the books, you're like, well, I guess the movie should be long. But in the story of The Hobbit... Um, Bilbo Baggins and his, I think, 12 dwarf friends, uh, they're, they're headed to the Lonely Mountain. And they have this guy that if you are even at all familiar with Lord of the Rings, you know who this guy is. They have this guy with them. He's a wizard. His name is Gandalf. And let me just stop for a moment and say, I'm not here today to promote wizards. <laughs> just hang with me on the story, Okay. But Gandalf, is he has great wisdom, extraordinary power, and so along the way, he is basically like their guardian and their guide, and there are a few points where he is their savior. Well, halfway through the journey, they're about to enter this forest, and Gandalf informs them, I'm not going the rest of the way with you, and they all come unhinged. I'm going to read to you from the book what it says. It says, The dwarves groaned and looked most distressed, and Bilbo wept. They had begun to think Gandalf was going to come all the way and would always be there to help them out of difficulties. They begged him not to leave them. They offered him dragon gold and silver and jewels, but he would not change his mind. When you're traveling... Uh, through the dangerous, and you're headed to the unknown, it's probably a really, really comforting thing to know you have a guardian and a guide. And in the midst of that kind of a journey, through the dangerous, to the unknown, if in the middle of that you learn that your guardian and your guide is all of a sudden about to be gone, this can be pretty frightening and devastating. In Exodus chapter 33, um, Israel learns that they are about to possibly lose their guardian and their guide. Moreover, their savior. And this causes some distress. And I will say that I think that this distress might be one of the best things that happens to them. So join me in Exodus chapter 33... And let's take a look together at what happens. In Exodus 32, if you remember, um, it's been a month, I know. We've all slept since then. Uh, We had the golden calf and um, that little incident and everything that went along with it. Well, look with me in Exodus 33, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you've brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. 
I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. So stop there with me for a moment. Think about what is is said here. God said, I'm going to go before you. All right. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to defeat all of your enemies. I'm going to defeat anybody that would stand in your way. And I'm going to provide for all of your needs. Sounds good so far, right? Sure it does. And they're thinking, we're finally going to leave this stupid wilderness. The problem is that there's a catch. Back to verse 3. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. God comes and he says, I'm not going with you and here's why. My threshold for putting up with your sin and your rebellion has reached its climax. And if I go with you and you continue to walk in sin and rebellion against me, I may very well consume you. So it might be better for you that I don't go with you. Well, what if God made us this promise? I mean, I want you to seriously think through this. What if God said, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to pave the way. I'm going to clear out every obstacle. I'm going to provide for your need, but I'm not going with you. Would this be good enough for you? What if God promised you a great marriage, a big house, a successful job, a great reputation, a wonderful family to take care of all of your needs, but not himself? One thing I'd ask you to consider this morning is at this point in your life, would that make any difference? God said, I'll take care of you, but I won't go with you. Would that be enough? I will tell you this morning that many people think it would. Many people actually think that God's presence, the things that he gives us, that that trumps or is better or is greater than his presence, his actually being with us. Most people would never say this, oh yeah, I think that what God gives me, it's better than God himself. We would never verbalize this. And and to go further with it, I don't even think any of us think that we would think it or that we would want it. But here's the reality. When we want to be blessed, when we want to be provided for, when we want to be protected, when we want to be healed, when we want to be redeemed, but we don't long for and live for a relationship with the creator, provider, 
protector, healer, and redeemer. That's exactly what it is that we're settling for. God, I want what you can give me, but I don't want you. This is why Jesus told that parable that we looked at last week of the prodigal son. The son comes and says, hey, dad, I want what is mine, but I don't want you anymore. When I was a kid, um, we were just talking about this yesterday. We, we left Tennessee and moved to Texas for my dad to go to seminary. And we moved to Texas on my eighth birthday. When I lived in Tennessee, when we lived in Chattanooga, my grandmother lived, what, 10 minutes from us, something like that. I saw my grandmother all the time. Um, she was at our house. We were at her house, my brother and I. We loved playing hide-and-seek in my grandmother's basement. I loved going to get Krispy Kreme in my grandma's Cadillac. Um, I remember my grandmother could stack that pile of ashes in the ashtray up to where it looked like Mount Vesuvius and it wouldn't move. I know some of you kids, you don't even know what an ashtray is. I don't know why they don't put those in cars anymore. Now people just flick them out the window. Let me get back to the point of my story. I love being with my grandmother. When we moved to Texas, I saw my grandmother like once a year. Now, Nanny sent some stellar presents. Um, envelope with money in it. She would make us homemade candy and chocolate, which if we were lucky and we got home in time, my dad would not have eaten it all before we got there. But here's the thing. My grandmother, yes, she gave us great presents. She gave us great gifts. But I would have said no thanks to any of those things any day if I could have just had her. I just wanted to be with her. You don't care about uh, what you can get from somebody. You, you really realize all of a sudden that it's their presence, it's their being there that matters. Um, many people, I think, want God's blessings but don't want God himself. And what we begin to realize is that God's blessings without God, that just leaves you in the wilderness, that, that's a barren nothingness. This is actually one of the many, many, many holes in the prosperity gospel. See, what the prosperity gospel preaches and teaches is that we actually find God through the blessings. That if you're not being blessed, that you must, you must be missing something. The, the prosperity gospel seems to have just missed that there's a whole book of the Bible called Job. When God clearly lays out to us, uh, Job cries out to God, though you slay me, I will trust you. That sounds a little different than the prosperity gospel. We do not find God through the blessings. That's, that's very, very backwards. So the significance of this turn of events, there can't be enough stress put on at what's happening here with the Israelites. The whole purpose of the Exodus was for God and his people to be together. Uh, God's presence with them is going to be firmly established through the tabernacle, through God's presence. And so all of a sudden now by saying, go ahead, but I'm not going with you, 
This takes everything that's happened and causes it to begin to unravel. Um, This is not merely what you would call a setback. Uh, This is like the end of the road. What are we going to do? But let's go back to the offer. And it's not really an offer. It's just sort of a proposal being laid out here by God. I'm going to bless you. God is going to bless them, but without having a relationship with them. What if you could have the provision without the provider? And I want to ask you again to consider this. Would that be enough for you? The obvious answer here is absolutely no, it would not be. And the reason why is because God's presence is the whole point. Go back into the beginning of Exodus chapter 6. Moses is being sent back into Egypt. And listen to what is said here, Exodus 6 verse 6. The Lord is talking to Moses here. He says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you will know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Look at these words. I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. Chapter 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Chapter 25, verse 8. God says, let, me make, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. The whole point of the Exodus is for God to be with his people. But now go back here into Exodus 33, and when you read verses 4 and 5 and 6, you see that the people are now in great distress by God saying this. I want to to point this out because it's very significant. They are not wallowing in self-pity. What's happened here is they are brought to a place of brokenness and repentance. They are mourning. When it says they take off their ornaments, they're about to have a festival celebrating the presence of God. Put a pause on that. And God says, take off your ornaments. I want to see how you respond to this proposal that I've thrown out here. Well, they respond in repentance. Move down to verse 12. And here comes Moses again to do what he's called to do and mediate for the people. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. 
Well, now, therefore, God, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, was Moses not listening there? If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how will it be known? How shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Moses once again intercedes, mediates on behalf of the people. But you need to realize, verse 12, 13, he's speaking on his own behalf as well. Okay, Moses says, I don't want to move from here. I can't do this on my own. I've got to know who's going with me, Lord. I need this. And look at verse 13, because this is the significance of Moses' motive and what he is saying here. I need to know who's going with me. Therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you. Moses is saying, God, if I don't know you, if, if I cannot know you, I don't want to move. It's not worth it. And so we see God here in verse 14. God says, okay, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Here's, here's why the little bit of confusion in Moses' response. The word you in verse 14 is singular. What God just said to Moses is, okay, Moses, I'll go with you and my presence will rest with you. But I'm still done with these stiff-necked people. And what Moses does right here once again is says, God, these are my people. And you have placed me in this position to mediate for them. You got to go with us. We, we can't move from here if you're not with us. Moses begins pleading with God. And then look at verse 16. I love what Moses does. This is a consistent tactic on his behalf. God, Moses reminds God of what God said. And you know what? You and I ought to practice this tactic. Moses says, God, is it not in your going with us that sets us apart? Isn't it you that makes us any different from anyone else? And obviously the answer to that question is, well, yes, Moses, this is true. It is God's presence that sets us apart as his people. Period. 
It's God's spirit for you and I living now. It's God's spirit that sets us apart as his people. How? Both internally in that we read in Romans 8 that the spirit affirms to you and to me that we belong to the father. Whether it's through his discipline, through his conviction, through his comfort. He tells us you belong to me. Romans uh, chapter 8, 1 John chapter 2 and 3. But it's also externally that the Spirit testifies that we belong to God as God's character is manifested in us, as we become a light in the darkness. It is the presence of God that sets us apart as His people. So one more time, let's go back to God's offer, though. And let me ask it this way. Is it wrong for us to want what the Lord gives? I mean, go back to what I, we were talking about a moment ago, that God brings healing, that God is our shelter and our protection, that God pours out blessings through his presence. I mean, is it wrong for us to want the things of God? Absolutely, emphatically, no. We should long for the blessings and the gifts of God. We should be overwhelmed with his provision and his protection. But we should long for these things of God because we ultimately long for him. And we can't spin those around. We should long for the things of God because those things are ultimately part of who he is. See, friends, God gives us what he does because of who he is. God gives us what he does because of who he is. And I want you to think about this. There are some things that I have at my house that if I showed them to you, you came over and I said, hey, I want to show you some stuff. And like, for instance, I have a red wonky looking toolbox in my dresser with about 10 harmonicas in it. You would say, Brian, do you play the harmonica? Well, I know how to, uh, but you're not going to find me most Sundays busting it out up here with the band. Although one day it's going to happen. But you would look at these box of harmonicas and be like, what do you have this for? I'll tell you why I have them. They were my dad's. I've got a belt in my closet that as soon as my son gets round enough that it will actually work for him, he ain't there yet. We'd have to poke like four more holes down the the row. Eventually that belt is going to be his. I had that belt and wore it from the time I was like 18 till I couldn't wear it anymore for, you know, reasons. (laughs) That belt is really not any big deal. It's a brown leather belt. But I hope that my son will cherish it because it was mine. Those things mean absolutely nothing if they're not attached to the Father. We long for the things of God because we long for Him. And God gives us those things that He does because that's just who He is.
But I want you to see this character manifested in Jesus. Look in John chapter 6 with me. In John chapter 6, Jesus is saying some things that you and I have to understand. If we were there when these things were first said, we would have been scratching our head at minimum. He's talking about how he is the bread of life. He's saying some pretty hard things to swallow and grasp. And when he finishes saying this, a lot of the people start to leave like, okay, I'm out. Look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know that Peter loved everything Jesus did. Like seeing it and witnessing it. You know that Peter hung on Jesus' every word. But now that Peter knows who Jesus is, the thing that's first and foremost on Peter's mind is, I just want to be with you, Jesus. I don't care where you go or what you do. I just want to be with you. And I love what Peter says to him in response to Jesus' question. Where else would we go? Who else could possibly satisfy my soul, Lord, but you? And see, now that Moses knows God, Moses is saying, I'm not moving if you're not going with me. Back to Exodus 33. Look at verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you will stand on this rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face will not be seen. God says, this very thing that you've spoken, this thing that you have begged for, this thing that you have interceded on behalf of the people for, I will do it. I will go with you, Moses, and I will not just go with you. I will go with you, with all of you. And I love what God says here, because Moses didn't ask anything about this, but God says, I'm going to do what you've asked, Moses. And by the way, know this, I know your name. I think that you and I wake up a lot of days 
And the only reason that we think God knows our name is because maybe we haven't spent time in prayer. We haven't spent time in the word. Or like me yesterday, I was an absolute nightmare with my family, with my attitude and the things I said. And the days that I wake up and I think maybe God knows my name is when I think he wants to bust my rear end. But I don't wake up most days immediately knowing the God of all creation knows my name, has pursued me, loves me, redeems me, and will never leave me. And that's what God says to you and to me. I know your foolishness. I know your rebelliousness. But you know what? You have a mediator. And he's good enough. God was revealing through Moses what he would do for us through Christ. I constantly think of this John Piper quote because it just really ought to smother almost everything about our lives. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What if we were willing to say today, hey Lord, we really, we want your will We want your blessings. We want your provision. We want it all, but we won't move if you don't go with us. God knows us. He knows all that we are. He knows all that we need. He promised us his presence. He has lavished his love upon us through the salvation and redemption of his son. He pours out his spirit on us, to live in us, and through us, to empower us, and fill us. Lord, if you will not go with us, do not move us from here. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.